Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, LuckyRacket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's LuckyRacket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 30th. Now, me saying that may confuse some of you listeners. All of you are going to hear this on Tuesday, August 31st. However, so as to make clear which day of the 2021 U.S. Open I am recapping, I am going to date each of these podcasts over the next two weeks, correspondingly with the date we are talking about. Of course, particularly in the early rounds, you will see days carry on into 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m. sorts of finishes. I'm going to record these podcasts at the end of each of every day's play to provide all of you listeners a recap for your morning commute, provide all of you listeners with the information you need before the play gets going each and every day at 11 a.m. Of course, as always, a shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff, getting up early, editing all of our content, ensuring all of you have podcasts to listen to on your commute. But again, this isn't a tenant situation. Shout out to Christopher Nolan's recent movie, Super super confusing. I honestly did not understand what I was watching throughout the duration of the film. That is a topic, though, for a different podcast. Today's show's topic, a marathon opening Monday at the 2021 U.S. Open. You look at the stats from the matches. 12 of the 32 men's singles battles go five sets. Yes, of course, there were some fun four-set matches as well, but to have 12 five-set thrillers on the opening day speaks to the parody we have spoken about so frequently here on these shows we see existing right now on the ATP Tour. You look on the women's side, not too shabby for them. 10 of the 32 matches going three sets. That's not an out 
outlierish sort of high number like we saw on the men's side, but certainly 10 is on the higher side of that number. So it speaks to, again, how thin the margins are in the competition right now between so many of these players. Yes, it's a first-round match, but still parody the name of the game, what I'm going to be doing on today's show, trying to talk about as many of these results as possible. I'm going to do two deep dives. We have to start with Stefano Tsitsipas' five-set thrilling win over Andy Murray. Yes, we'll talk about the bathroom controversy. Yes, we'll talk about Tsitsipas' tactics, but of course, I also want to talk about the tennis we saw in that match. On the women's side, have to talk Simona Halep. Straight set win over Canada Masters, or Canada 1000 level champion, excuse me, Camilla Georgie. She looked good, not great, good in her return to play today. But of course, this early in the event for her to show this level, what does that mean for the rest of the field? That's something I want to discuss on today's show. Of course, I'm also going to run through the upsets we saw on the men's and women's side, talk about those matches that went the distance, run through the other notable results, preview day two at the end, and so much more. Before we get into all of that, I have to remind all of you listeners that the reason we are able to do this day in in, day out on this show is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Patreon family, who each and every day will receive a bonus match of the day uh, preview episode. I'm going to break down one match in specific, talk about the results from each of the players of late, talk about my keys to the match, run through the analytics, offer a prediction, and so much more. Of course, I will also be offering predictions each and every day on our GSP Ace of the Day segment, which you can find on the Great Shot podcast feed or on our website, CrackRackets.com. All of that content not possible without the support we get from our Patreon family and you listeners. Of course, here on the mini break, we're able to do this show day in, day out because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. I'll keep it brief. Best equipment, best prices. Promo code CR15 gets you 15% off, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. What is there to lose? Go to tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get all of those bonus features and, again, to let them know that we sent you there. With that in mind, let's get into a marathon opening Monday. We'll start with Murray versus Tsitsipas. I think it's fair to say I am very much on the Andy Murray camp. That was the player for me growing up that I watched most closely. I still remember very, very clearly his match at Wimbledon against Richard Gasquet. You look at that match for Murray Gasquet. I think that was Wimbledon. I don't think. I know it was Wimbledon 2008. Felt like that was the breakout match for Andy Murray. He wins that one in a match that goes the distance and from there, he kind of took off, and it became the start of the Big Four era. Of course, you look for Andy Murray now. It's not they, anyways. Why do I bring that up? 2008. I'm 13 years old. Very impressionable. 13 year old Alex Gruskin. That's not the peak. Uh, first of all, I, I'd like to think I haven't reached my peak yet. 25 years old. One likes to think you peak career-wise, like 35 to 50, that's when you're in your serious prime. Anyways, that's a discussion for another time. Point being, I would argue, you know, when you're a 13-year-old kid, that's when you're most impressionable because you're smart enough to realize what's going on, but you're still looking for role models, for pathways that you can see crafting for yourself. And I'm not saying I thought I was going to be Andy Murray, 
But there were a lot of things to admire about Andy Murray, and certainly he is one of the most respected players on tour nowadays. His out, you know, his outspoken support for things such as pay equity, for things such as promotion of the women's game on an equal note to the men's game, an advocate of merging the two tours as well, or at least opening those discussions. You know, I, I don't need to speak to Andy Murray's credentials off the court. Certainly, again, on the court, his run, you know, his 2016 season was one of the 10 best seasons of the decade. It was a big four era, and I saw someone tweeted today, it's fair to say one of the big three's most impressive accomplishments is holding Andy Murray to just three Grand Slam titles. All of that is to say, I don't think I need to prove my credentials as an Andy Murray fan. That You know, similar hairlines. Similar – never mind. I was going to make a joke that – I'm not going to make that joke. But 13-year-old Alex would have laughed at that joke and maybe that will tell you what the joke was. Point being, I, I when I my, – my skepticism of Andy Murray was not from a place of dismissiveness. I just think objectively watching that Wimbledon run for Andy Murray was painful because you watched the matches unfold just match after match for Murray. He was getting away with things that just quite frankly a prime Andy Murray wouldn't do. The slices against Oscar Ota and you know against Basilashvili, it just it even when he when he blew the lead in the third set, it felt like okay, finally Basilashvili has figured it out. He just needs to put five balls in a row in the court because all the slicing from Murray, he's having plenty of opportunities. He's just missing, but no, Murray escapes from that match, and then. You know, I actually thought he played really well in Cincinnati. Good win over Gasquet, moved really well despite a straight set loss to Hercots in the round of 32. But I, you know, beats Noah Rubin 2-0 before losing really fun match against Tiafo 6-3. And, and again, I don't think he played his best, but I thought he moved pretty well, all things considered. He's got fake hips. Uh, but when I saw he drew Stefano Tsitsipas, I wrote him off. I thought the heaviness of the Tsitsipas forehand, the aggression with which Tsitsipas plays with, that's exactly what this Andy Murray is vulnerable against. We saw it against Hercots. Hercots played on his front foot. Mixed in drop shots just forced Andy Murray corner to corner and make magic in the outer thirds, which is, of course, where a prime Murray would have thrived. But this is four surgeries later, Andy Murray, and yet Murray came out firing. And in particular in this match against Tsitsipas, not only was it his first serve, it was his first forehand. And you look at the stats from this match for Andy Murray. I mean, he made 63% of his first serves. He won 70% of his first serve points, won 56% of his second serve points, fought off 7 of 10 break points in this match, 42 winners against 38 errors. From a mathematics standpoint, he played about as close to a perfect match as this version of Andy Murray could have hoped for. And I thought, in particular, you look in that first set, I mean, he came out firing on serve. He didn't face a break point in the set, but in particular, I thought it was his first forehand. He was going after it. He was forcing Tsitsipas to play on his back foot. He was very comfortable serving and playing plus one tennis to the Tsitsipas backhand. You look for him in that first set, five of six at the net. You look for him overall in the match, 26 of 35. He continued to keep Tsitsipas on his back foot. He continued to put as much pressure as he could on Tsitsipas. And then, you know, he flashed his return ability. He flashed his ability, you know, the Andy Murray backhand return is either 1B or second best in history to Novak Djokovic's. And you could see that feel in the forehand now. He's more aggressive with it, but of course he's always had good feel on the return with his forehand. And just his ability to get the point back to neutral, it frustrated Tsitsipas, who, let's be clear, 
The, in the end, the numbers are 67 winners to 51 unforced errors, and that number sounds gaudy, but you look for him at, you know, second set, 21 winners against 12 unforced errors. That was the best set he probably played in the match, but outside of that, I thought it was a very tentative Stefano Tsitsipas. I thought he tried to outgrind Murray, make the match physical through the first three sets, and Look, that just wasn't working, and if we're being honest here, you know, Murray had his chances. He probably should have won that second set. A set Tsitsipas takes 9-7 in a second set breaker. He wins that set. He can win the match, you know, in straight set, 6-2, 7-6, 6-3, because Murray comes back. He comes out firing, and just, again, his effort level was so consistent. And his ability to now use the crowd, engage the crowd, and use them to, you know, bolster his own energy— it's extraordinarily impressive, and I just did not think Andy Murray had this performance left in him. Now, again, what Andy Murray has, at, is at this stage of his career is a guy who just mucks, mucks things up. You know, he makes the tennis ugly. It's Medvedevian, and just he slow things down, and then when you least expect it, he's going big down the line. He's knifing a slice at you. He's sneaking into the net. It's a different version of Andy Murray, but it's a fun version of him, and he was using all the tricks in the trade to just, again, sustain his lead, and he had the crowd's energy behind him, and again, that first serve was just working for him all match long, but credit to Stefano Tsitsipas, who raised his level of play in sets three and four. Now, it looked like he was going uh, four and five, excuse me. Now, it looked like he was going to run away with set number four after I think he ro- opened up a four-love lead. Murray inched his way back, got one of the breaks back. Tsitsipas able to serve it out at 6-3. You look in set number five, it was Tsitsipas' best serving set of the match. He makes 63% of his first serves. That was his highest number in any set. He wins 68% of his first serve points, but perhaps most impressively, not 9 of 11 on second serve points, faced and fought off one break point in the set, 12 winners against 11 unforced stairs, and at that point, you could see Murray's legs starting to leave him. It was just a little bit harder for him to get to that ball early enough to take it as aggressively down the line as he was in sets 1, 2, and 3, and you know, again, Tsitsipas, it helps sometimes to be 23 years old. It helps to, you know, be number three in the world, have confidence on your side, know that you're willing to go the distance because you've done it before. And it was all working for Tsitsipas towards the home stretch of this match. Now, why is this match controversial? Because there was another long bathroom break for Tsitsipas, and I believe it came after set number four, and, you know, obviously for Andy Murray, it's hard enough for him to get through a five-set match, let alone with a lot of starting and stopping, and I think all of us who have gotten older, as it, it I, you know, again, sometimes it feels a little weird saying these things, 25 years old, some of you are going to be like, Alex, shut up, but it's true, it's a little bit harder to sit down for 10 minutes in between playing a ground stroke game when you're chatting with your buddy who you haven't seen in a while, and then you get up again, and back in the day, it would have been like, please, let's go to 21, no problem. And you get up, and you just play the game to 21, and you look at each other, and we're just kind of like, we should play to 11 moving forward, right? Like, what's the point of 21? There's 12 minutes of slop there, and both of our legs are a little bit frozen now, and again, fake hips for Andy Murray. This guy is Metal Man. This guy is Cyclops or Cyborg, excuse me. This guy is part machine. 
You can understand his frustration, and he expressed it openly in the post-match press conference, saying he doesn't have any respect for those sorts of tactics. And he didn't criticize Tsitsipas. I mean, he criticized the tactics. He was still very complimentary of Tsitsipas' game, of Tsitsipas' future. Uh, But still, he says he doesn't have patience for that sort of tactics. And you can understand why, because there are times when, you know, before service games or whatever it may be, Tsitsipas is changing rackets and wardrobe changes, and all these little things start to add up, particularly when you have a two sets to one lead and you see that lead evaporate and you know again a bathroom i it's gamesmanship it's part of the game until they write it out explicitly in the rule book those are the little mental edges the little things people do throughout the course of a competition and because of tennis singles the nature it is one-on-one you can frustrate your opponent with those little things now I have no problem with on-court coaching. I think listeners of this show will know. I just legalize it. Everyone does it. It's in their own different ways, but everyone's chatting throughout the course of the match, and all these players are hearing everything their coach is saying anyways. Why not just formally legalize it? Now, receiving texts, going to the bathroom, whatever it may be, that's a little unkosher. Until that's formally okay, I'm a little not okay with that. But a long bathroom break to... You know, go to the bathroom, change your clothes, reset over the course of what was this match? You look overall, I believe they ended up playing for about four hours. I mean, it's five minutes, it's 10 minutes. Yeah, or I guess what was this one? 12 minutes? You'd like to keep it under 10, but like I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't want to penalize that. Maybe you go back there and you say, come on, Stefanos, you have to, you have to hurry this up. And maybe they were saying that to him already. And if they're saying that to him already and he's still taking his lazy time, then that is unkosher. But if they're not doing that, I really don't have, I know I need to hear more reporting. I don't have a strong reaction one way or the other is the truth. Again, I am pro legalizing coaching. Everyone's doing it anyways. Do I think it impacted the outcome of this match? Did Murray have that much momentum going into the fourth set? That much, which is actually I think when the bathroom break occurred, that much momentum going into the, you know, the stoppage into the fifth as well. I don't think so. I think he loses this match either way. Certainly, it didn't help, and he did have some momentum. You know, after the, he wins the first set, he goes, "I'm not f-ing going anywhere." And who doesn't love Chiga fired up Andy Murray? And I do think this is, conf- you know, this is a confirming moment for him to continue to play on I know there's a lot of pain a lot of pain management takes a lot of work for Andy Murray to get on court but he did just take Tsitsipas five sets perhaps with a more beneficial draw he gets to a third fourth round and for him a second week of a slam at this point of his career that is still obtainable it's worth pursuing and so if he's enjoying himself he's earned the right to play as long as he wants again his movement in this match was much better his aggression in this match it just reflects the stage he's at in his career but Tsitsipas manages to survive moving forward you look for Stefanos I mean this was not a good performance he makes you look overall for him I suppose you know again he he finished the match strong on serve but he only makes 56% of his first serves in this match wins 77% of those first serve points fights off 7 of 11 break points he faced and again from a numbers perspective 67 winners against 51 unforced errors sounds good 30 of 46 at the net sounds solid But he came out flat to start this match, and he did have some issues, and he got taped a couple of times by the trainer uh, around his feet and ankles. But, you know, again, 
I, I, it's the matchup. You play Andy Murray first round of the U.S. Open. That is always going to be a difficult matchup, particularly for a generation of players that, you know, Tsitsipas and I are two, three years difference in age. We grew up watching Andy Murray. So that he got through this this match, I think, is the most important thing. And, you know, again, there is going to be a funky section of the draw. We said it in our draw preview, Matt Stokowiak and I. Tsitsipas's quarter is the one to circle. He avoids the early upset. Gets through in five sets. Again, one of 12 five-set matches on the day. I want to get to those five-setters a bit later. But next, I want to talk about Halep Georgie. And I'm not going to spend 13 minutes on this one like I did the last match. And I promise if I do 13 minutes per match, we're going to be here for two hours. That will not be the case moving forward. But you do look at this uh, Halep-Georgie match for Simona Halep to knock off uh, the Montreal champion 6-4-7-6 in this match. It's a scary thought for the rest of this draw, particularly given the fact Halep served for the matchup 5-4, served for the matchup 6-5, broke Georgie back immediately after getting broken back 4-5 all to take that 6-5 lead, and you look for her overall in the match, she won 83% of her first serve points, you know, only 14 winners, but only 16 unforced errors. She moved extraordinarily well, averaged 74.8 feet per point compared to the 70.32 Georgie. And I think in particular, she moved well to her backhand. She was a little bit tentative moving to that forehand. She certainly, in my opinion, well, let's just get right into it. The 6-4-7-6 win for Halep. Uh, I suppose we already have, but her forehand it sat short today in the court, and Camilla Georgie's going to make you pay when you do that. And you look for Georgie. She certainly started off a little bit sluggish, and I think she only found her range really at the start and towards the end of that second set for a brief blip until, honestly, I don't think she played that good of a tiebreaker. But 16 winners for Georgie against 31 unforced errors. Halep is going to force you into unforced errors by making those extra shots, but there were a couple of swinging volleys, a couple of approach, approach shots that sailed long on Georgie that she would love to have back because she was right in this match. And still, you look for Simona Halep. Her effectiveness with her first strike, in particular, off of that first serve, I mean, 35 of 42. Yes, Georgie's an aggressive returner. And I'm sure about 30% of those first serve points won were on errors on the Georgie return. But you look for Simona Halep. I mean, pinpoint accuracy has always been the calling card of her game, and she was so efficient with her approach shots today. You know, three of four at the net, but it feels like Georgie missed a bunch of attempted passes in the net, not even allowing Halep to hit the volley. And again, for Simona, the swinging volley was in work, and her ability to hit the lobs when she's in the outer third to buy herself some time to get in a position to hit a second passing shot. I just... I thought the repertoire looked good for Simona Hal, but again, she was a little bit tentative moving towards that forehand, and as such, her forehand was sitting short in the court because she wasn't getting all of her legs into that ball, but she was getting all of her legs into the serve, and to me, what that indicates is that she is healthy. She's just working her way back into form, and that tentativeness and working her way back has manifested itself in that hesitancy moving to her right, but I mean, again... Four and six against the Montreal champion. Again, for Georgie, wasn't her cleanest match. She made 51% of her first serves, won 67% of her first serve points, 55% of her second serve points, was 11 of 15 at the net, and certainly started coming forward more forcing Halep 
even more so into the outer thirds just with more margin uh, with her approach shots towards the back half of that second set and Look, I mean, Halep had match points in her service games to close out that second set, wasn't able to get the job done, started getting frustrated at herself, but, you know, immediately locked back in. In in the tiebreaker, just put a bunch of returns deep on Georgie's feet and, you know, got a couple of loose errors from Georgie in that tiebreaker as well. But, of course, you just can't give Simona Halep errors. And you look for Simona Halep now, Again, it hasn't been an outstanding season by any metric. 12-6 and six overall here in 2021. She is number one in break percentage over the last 52 weeks, but you look for Simona Halep here. 21st in terms of overall 2021 ELO with her record. You look for her in terms of overall ELO. She has slipped down to 11th. That's her lowest in quite a bit of time, but... You look for Simona Halep. A, now that she's gotten through Georgie, she faces uh, Kutsova in her next round. She'll be a heavy favorite in that one. Uh, certainly the third round match potentially looming with Elena Rabakina would be must-see TV. Uh, certainly, of course, by a contrast of styles as well. But you look for Simona Halep here. She's holding serve 68.6% of the time that, uh, here in 2021 specifically. That's a percent behind her career average. Not You don't love that, but it's not that far off. You look at her break percentage, 46.6 here in 2021. It's 0.4 less than her career average. You look at her first serve win percentage, 63.2, 0.2 above her average. You look at her second serve win percentage, 47.6, 0.3 below her average. She's pretty damn close to the players she's been throughout the course of her career, and that player, of course, was top 10 throughout the decade in the 2010s and I just think again if we get this version of her healthy and if this you know for tentativeness moving right is just her regaining her form and not a sustained injury that it's that's just the way it's going to be because I do think against a Rabakina she's going to have to be Simona Halp fully fluid in the outer thirds and making magic in those parts of the court uh, because you know Rabakina is probably a little stronger on the serve than Georgie and then the same sort of power from the baseline. And there were times in this match, particularly again towards the end of that second set, where Georgie got a clean rip on a, a, on a return of serve and then had that second approach shot, the easy put away because Halep was a little slow by her standards getting to the outer thirds again. This version of Simona Halep, I think she beats Kutsova. I need to see a little bit better before I say she's going to beat Elena Rabakina, who has been excellent of late and did win her match here today. But this was a good victory for Simona Halep. And I think, again, moving forward for her, the point, you know, of course your goal in any Grand Slam is to win the tournament. But for her, the goal is to find her form, find her rhythm, entering the home stretch of this season, entering, of course, the 2022 season, where look, Halep turns 30, uh, 30 years old uh, at the end of this September. That's not old in WTA Tour terms. That is towards the end of her prime. Things are still open enough, particularly at the French Open. If Krejcikova won the slam this year, are you telling me a healthy Halep wouldn't have been considered a strong favorite as well? She was before she had to pull out of the event with injury. So I'm not counting Simona out yet in the Grand Slam conversation. I don't think anyone else is either. Strong performance for her today. Puts the draw on notice. Not a red alert, but certainly on notice with a 6-4-7-6 victory. Now, with that in mind, let's move on to the upsets on the women's side. We saw three seeds knocked out of the draw today. Two by withdrawal, one via a result. The withdraws, Jennifer Brady, and we alluded to this in our preview podcast, but she's been nursing injuries all season long. 
She is out with a lower body injury. She had to withdraw from the event. The number 13 seed who was a semifinalist here last year. Obviously, we are wishing her health a speedy recovery. She's the defending finalist in Australia. We all know what she's capable of when healthy on a hard court. So hopefully, we see her healthy soon. Of course, Yelena Ostapenko, the number 27 seed, also had to withdraw unspecified medical reasons. Uh, But, you know, we always know how dangerous she can be. So her exit will certainly be felt in terms of your other upset, you know, again, is this an upset? You look for Kaya Kanepi over the course of the 2021 season. She started the season out on fire uh, in Australia and, you know, made a run in the warm-up events early in the season. You look uh, for Kanepi over the course of the year now with this result. She moves to 22-7. and seven in hardcourt matches over her last 52 weeks. Now, she's 4-5 and five against top 50 opponents, but has wins over Sabalenka, Mukova, Kenin, Alexandrova. Now gets, I suppose, a fifth win over Putin Seva as well. You look at what she was able to do well in today's match. She just showed patience throughout the course of the match, and as the match went on, uh, you know, again, got force Putin Seva to be broken down because she wasn't getting early errors and when Putin Seva is not getting early errors she starts pressing and you know Putin Seva doesn't have the firepower of Akaya Kanepi and Putin Seva really did her best particularly through the first set and a half to target the Kanepi backhand because the Kanepi forehand is an absolute weapon but Kanepi slowed things down, stopped pressing by going backhand down the line, and was fine going cross-court backhands with Putin Seva, picked up her serve percentage, 2-6-7-6-6-2 victory for Kaya Kanepi. Again, she plays, uh, or now she faces Layla Fernandez, but she's been dangerous here in Grand Slams, particularly on hard courts. We know what she was capable of earlier in her career. It's a really fun match. Veteran Kanepi uh, taking on the young, talented lefty in Layla Fernandez, who got a straight set win today over Anaconia, one of the most impressive wins of the day. But I would qualify that as an upset, honestly, uh, the way Konya ripped through U.S. Open qualifying their recent results of late. But neither of them were seeded still. Uh, Kanepi advancing, meaning three seeds eliminated on the women's side men's side a little bit more crowded we had six seeds exiting stage left on day one of the u.s open now a bunch of them five set losses in particular ugo umber he struggled today that's and that's the thing for ugo very hot and cold and you look at his numbers he's a guy who is a top 20 hold percentage sort of player you look for ugo umber here over the last 52 weeks, he ranks, I believe, it is 13th in hold percentage. He's holding 84.5% of the time. On the flip side of that, though, you look for Ugo Umber, 48th in break percentage. He's breaking only 15.5% of the time. Let's just be honest. That number's abysmal. When you're surrounded by Opelka, Isner, and this stage of Roger Federer, you're just not doing, you know, you're not putting enough returns in the court. You're going make or break. And today there's a lot of break, not a lot of make. And you look for Ugo Umber, the stats in this match. Just again, a lot of things went against him over the course. And again, credit to Gojewicz, who played a really smart match, kept the ball in play, limited his unforced errors, took the attack when he had the opportunities. But you look for Umber, or you look for Gojewicz, he goes 63 of 78 on first serve points. That's just... 
you can't let your opponent do that over the course of a five-set match. And while Gojewicz was only 25 of 56, a 45% win percentage on second serve points, he was 6 of 10 on breakpoint chances. Umber, 4 of 14. When he had his chances, he went big on return. And unfortunately, the return wasn't landing. And for Umber, you know, again, while he has his moments in the 250s and the 500s, he'll play really good weeks of tennis, but the consistency still wavers for him. And so talented young Frenchman, probably the most talented Frenchman in the ATP, on the ATP Tour right now, but or certainly I would say the best form of any Frenchman right now. But, you know, Gojewitz got him today, five-set win for him. You look at the other seed upsets that weren't, at least in the you know, weren't expected. Trungaliti, five-set win over Davidovich Fokina. Davidovich Fokina struggled with health this year. His good's been really good, but much like Umber, he struggled with consistency. And, of course, that's what separates the Davidovich Fokinas, Umbers of the world from the Yannick Sinners of the world, from the FAAs and the Shapovalovs, well, more FAA than Shapovalov of late, is that the consistency, week in, week out. You have to be consistent, particularly in the first week of slams, if you want to be a top 20, top 15 player. And right now, Umber, Davidovich, Fokina just aren't. They're knocked out by Gojewicz and Trungaliti, respectfully, in two of our 12 five-set matches. Of course, one of our other ones, Philip Kohlschreiber, earns a retirement victory in the fifth set after Marin Cilic is unable to close out a two sets to love lead. Cole Schreiber, 6-7, love victory if this was 2007, 8. We talked about that match a little bit more in 2021. I think simply noting it is good enough. You look at the other upsets. Paya, four sets over number 32 seed, Philip Krajinovic, that it's on hard courts. I mean, Krajinovic is a much better clay court player than hard court player. Guido Ford, Guido Paya, still interesting result. But the two most fascinating updates upsets on the day belong to two of the next-gen 2.0 stars, Carlos Alcaraz, 6-4-6-4-6-3 over Cam Nori. Nori was one of my dark horses entering this 2021 U.S. Open. Of course, that podcast was recorded before the draws came out, but you look for Cam Nori up to number 18 in overall ELO rating. His 40-18 and 18 record, good for 15th in 2021 specific ELO. His 40 wins this season tied for third uh, with Rublev, who I suppose now surpassed him, so now tied for fourth with Tomas Atreveri, uh, but fourth in terms of ATP wins. I mean, every metric would have suggested Cam Nori, who came into this event uh, seated lower than that number, seated as the number 26 seed, that he was a guy you could circle as a run. And I was very much hoping he'd get a shot at Tsitsipas in the third round. But, you know, Carlos Alcaraz had other plans. And I've mentioned this before, the 18-year-old Spaniard who's won multiple challenger titles on clay, who made his first ATP semifinal on hard courts uh, in Winston-Salem in the week leading up to this event. And that's why you play Winston-Salem if you're Carlos Alcaraz, because he still has fewer than 50 career pro matches on hard courts. That was his first semifinal on a hard court since playing a futures-level event early in his career. I mean, his forehand just works, and it was the heaviest shot on the court. It was the biggest weapon, and it outlasted Nori's physicality. And just, you know, again, Alcaraz, the spin he puts on his serve, he gets such easy looks at his first strike, and because it's a heavy kick serve, he has time to run around that ball, hit a first forehand. I think his backhand, the depth on that shot improves with each and every passing day. The variety he can play with, slice, drop shot, short angle. He can't quite hit through the court yet off that wing, but he can do a lot of different things. 
good, not great mover, very much in the young Tsitsipas model where you can see he's going to have a powerful first step. And of course, he's just not quite as fluid yet on the hard courts as he is on clay. I don't think movement's ever going to be an issue for him, and it's not right now. I think he's going to be not exceptional, but he's going to be a very good mover throughout the course of his career. But just, you know, again, his weapons won out against Cam Nori over the long haul, and you look over the course of this match uh, for Alcaraz, I mean, the stats don't lie. He played a really, really clean match from start to finish. You look overall for Alcaraz over the course uh, of this match, again, a 6-4, 6-4, 6-3 victory, 38 winners, 13 unforced errors. Let me say that again, 38 winners, 13 unforced errors. Cam Nori, 14 of 39, 36% win percentage on his second serve points. Alcaraz, had, that's where the biggest weapons manifest itself. Fantastic performance for Carlos Alcaraz. He earns a straight set win. The other one that I think, again, we could have seen coming, Brandon Nakashima, talented young American, 7-6, win over John Isner. This was their third matchup in the past month. Nakashima now 2-1 and one in those matchups. He beat him in Los Cabos. Isner got him at the John Isner Open in Atlanta, but you could just see Brandon was comfortable reading the John Isner serve, and you look at the stats in this match. Isner 57 of 76 on first serve points, 20 of 40 on second serve points, It's good, not great. In 9 of 22 at the net, Brandon was really good at getting that first return just low at John's feet and just, you know, again, or getting that first return deep enough in the court that John couldn't serve in volley, didn't have an easy plus one ball. And, you know, John still had success. He's only broken, I believe, uh, one, uh, two times in this match. Brandon, two of five on break point chances, gets one break in the first, one break in the third. Uh, but Brand- that's all sometimes you need against John, particularly when, like Brandon, you're so effective today with your first strike. And you look for Nakashima, 49 of 54 on first serve points. When he got a first forehand, he either put it away or gave himself a chance to just clean something up at the net. He was also 28 of 39 on second serve points. He was better than John on serve today. And he put enough returns in the court and did enough with his return, was dynamic enough on that shot, both forehand and backhand wings. And his forehand held up to the pace, which has sometimes been a question for him, that he looked like the better player. This didn't feel like an upset. This felt like Brandon Nakashima working his way towards the fourth round of this event. And you look now, he's taken out the 19 seed. His third round matchup would be potentially, I mean, he's got to get through one more. I think it's Alex Mulcahy next, but a potential date with uh, 11 seed Diego Schwartzman in the third round. Yes, Schwartzman has the physical edge, but that match feels like a five-set battle. That match feels like a track meet. I hope we get it. I think Brandon's got the best pathway of any American in the men's singles competition to the second week of this event. He looked excellent, and you look for Brandon Nakashima, of course, with this win in the race to the year-end finals. Brandon now up to number 56. You know, he's currently ranked, I think, outside the top 80. He's much closer to that 56 number in the as he is in the race of the year on finals. You look for him, tennis abstracts, ELO ratings here in 2021, Nakashima currently 44th. Yeah, I think he's closer to a top 50 player than he is to being towards the precipice of falling out of the top 100 as his ranking reflects. Brandon's in the top 100. He's not going anywhere for a while. This was an upset win, but a win he was the better player over the course of the two hours they were on court. Those are your men's upsets. Let's flip gears now, go back to the women, talk about the 10 matches or I suppose the remaining matches. So nine of them end up going the distance. 
I mean, Sabalenka is going to Sabalenka. When she was good, the firepower, the serve, it was all on display. When she was bad, the unforced errors piled up. You look for Sabalenka over the course of this match. Here's a number for you. Arena Sabalenka in her three-set match with Stojanovic. 43 winners, 42 unforced errors. 86% win percentage on the first serve, 33% on the second serve. That's Sabalenka in a nutshell. The good's very good. The bad's... uh, uh, but she gets through in three sets, and that's the difference between now and 2019, 2018. Number two seed needs to win ugly occasionally, excuse me. She's able to do so. Advances to the second round, three-set win. Over Stojanovic gets the bagel in the third set. Other seeds push the distance today. Coco Goff, 5 7 6 3 6 4 over Magda Lynette. I have never felt more comfortable having an ace of the day riding on a player down a set and a break than I was about Goff and Lynette. There's just a presence to Goff, a calmness, a poise under pressure. You just always feel like she's going to get the job done. And she buckled down. She stopped making unforced errors. She put in a higher percentage of first serves. She won the match. Now, she was up a break, and things got a little chalky there towards the end of the third, but she gets over the finish line. This felt like a mature victory. This felt like another step forward, and it's crazy to think, but she's still 17 years old. Big win for Goth. Hold seed. Tricky first round, but knocks off Lynette in three sets. Talk about tricky first rounds. Angelique Kerber was getting worked through the first set, and honestly, a half. She was trailing Yastrzemska down 6-3, you know, into that second set. And then, you know, Yastrzemska is very much Sabalenka two years ago. And when it's good, it's very good. When it's bad, it's freaking awful. You look for Yastrzemska over the course of this match. And again, three-set win for Angelique Kerber, 3-6-6-4-7-6. Yastrzemska, 42 winners, 57 unforced errors. Kerber, six winners, 20 unforced errors. That's your story of the match. Now, for Kerber, this was nice for her because she has been so much better since the start of the grass court season and for her to get eliminated first round of New York to Yastrzemska in that fashion that would have just been a bittersweet ending uh, to the Grand Slam season here in 2021 so you feel good that Kerber's able to get over the finish line at the same time Diana Yastrzemska is one of the most five compelling views in tennis right now and the errors are horrible when it's bad it's awful but when it's good oh man can she fire the ball off of both wings sneaky good mover as well powerful athlete powerful first step that was a fun match one of the three four seven six in the third endings we had on the day the others being elisa mertens who fought off multiple match points gets in much needed and again would have been a bittersweet ending too had she lost a tricky first rounder to rebecca Pedersen. but in the end three six seven six seven six she advances masarova the match of the day six seven seven six seven six over Bogdan, you look at your other three setters. Sloan Stevens, 6-3-1-6-7-6. Oh, so is that... Yeah, that's your fourth 7-6 in the third over Madison Keys. It was a choppy match. But honestly, they both played... There were times where both players looked like the 2017-18 versions of yourself. And given the depth we have in American women's tennis, and we talked about this in the State of the Union podcast with David Gertler, that there's still a potential resurgence into the primes for Stevens and Keys because they're both still under the age of 29 years old. That's exciting. Moving into these next three, four, five years of the WTA Tour, particularly if you're an American women's tennis fan, but this was a fun level. Stevens is just good again. She's a top 50 Sloan Stevens, and I know that's not the top 10 she was, but it beats the falling outside the top 100 level, can't win a match level she showed in parts of 2020. 
this was a good win for her. And it's a shame this was a first-round match, but Steven advances 7-6 in the third. Your other three-set matches on the day, Garcia, Kalnina, Rakamova, all advancing in three sets. We flip gears now to the men's side again. Eight more matches other than the ones we've already discussed going the distance on the day. Really strong performance for top three candidate for most improved player on the ATP Tour this season. Has made multiple quarterfinals. First time he's made any quarterfinals for his career at the ATP level. Now into the top 75, into the second round of the U.S. Open is former Texas A&M All-American Arthur uh, Rindernesh as he earns a five-set win over uh, Miomir Kesmenovic today comes back from two sets to love down for the first time in his career to do so. The 26-year-old up to number 72 in the live rankings. Temporary, but is a career high. You look for him again in this match. 6-7-3-6-7-5-6-3-6-4. His first serve, his plus one tennis, his willingness to move forward, his willingness and ability to keep Kesmenovic on the back foot. And Kesmenovic came up with amazing stuff in the first two sets. When Kesmenovic looks good, you've heard me say it before, he looks excellent. But Rindernesh's power won out, and there is something to having those sorts of weapons, the ability to play on your terms, and apparently on any surface now, if you've watched Rindernesh over these last 52 weeks, there's a place for him in the top 75 of the ATP rankings. He's got the skills, he's got the modern size, well-rounded game as well, good mover for his size, good athlete. This was an impressive win. Five sets for him over Kesmenovic. You look at some other guys with college ties, getting five-set wins. Former Illinois standout, former, of course, Grand Slam finalist Kevin Anderson, 7-6-4-6-3-6-7-6-7-6 win over former world junior number one Yuri Vesely. You look for Anderson, unable to break Vesely in the match, yet get Gets the win. You always love to see that. Another win for former uh, college tennis number one, Dom Kopfer. This is, would have been a bittersweet one for him given his success over the past 18 months. He gets a five-set win over former top uh, top five junior in the world, Quinton Halise. You look at the other results, Manorino, French on French crime, five-set win over Pierre-Uze Herbert. You look for the Spaniards. Pedro Martinez Portero does it again. Two sets to love down. He comes back over the duck. James Duckworth. Bernabe Zapata Morales earns his first career Grand Slam victory. Five sets over Feliciano Lopez. That's a Spanish on Spanish crime. Of course, Andujar. Five sets over Mikhail Kukushkin. And then a cracked racket's favorite. Botik Vandesen Skulp earns a five-set victory over Carlos Taberner as well. Those were your five-set matches on the men's side. And again, all of those results speaks to the parity right now. Players ranked 65 to 135. On the right day, any, you fill in the number next to the guy, and they're going to look similar to the guy that is currently ranked there. Really, really fun day of men's tennis results. Of course, you look at the other notable performances on the day. Quickly on Naomi Osaka. I think she only made like 47, 48% of her first serves, and yet she dominated the always frisky Marie Buzkova, 6-4, Buzkova just didn't have the weapons to hurt Osaka with, and when Osaka locked in in her 5-4 returning game to end that first set, she got the break she needed, and just, she's striking the ball really cleanly right now from the baseline. She's moving comfortably. That the serve is the thing that's lagging behind, that is dangerous, for the rest of the field. She puts everyone on notice. She's my pick to win this event. If she gets to week two, that means she's cleaned up the errors on the serve, and she then becomes the most dangerous player in the field 
Good result for her, 4-1. Again, tough draw for Marie Buskova, who might fall out the top 100. That's crazy. Uh, but, you know, Osaka advancing in straight sets. Chicago champion Alina Svitolina capitalizing on her momentum 2-3 and three win over Marino 2021 French Open champion Barbara Krejcikova. Straight sets over Vanderbilt, Astra Sharma. You look at some of the other seeded results. Was a tricky one for Garbine Muguruza. Only one break apiece in the first set. She had an early lead. Vekic was able to break back towards the end of the second set. But in the end, Muguruza, 7-6, 7-6 victory. I forgot how much, you know, the weight of shot of Donna Vekic. Uh, because when she's getting her momentum behind the baseline, uh, behind her balls at the baseline in particular, when she's leaning into that forehand, taking that backhand on the rise early, she had the weapons to give Muguruza fits. But Muguruza was more dynamic in the outer thirds. And, <clears throat> excuse me, again, for her to win somewhat ugly but see her level improve throughout the course of this match, she's another player. I have her going to the semifinals. I have a 25-1 to futures bet on it. I just think she, her level this season, what I've seen from every player on tour, she has been, her best is one of the three best. I think it's Barty, Osaka on hard courts. And then honestly, I do think Muguruza's best on hard courts is better than Krejcikova's best was on clay courts. I just think she can be that good. Will she find that level? We'll see. A lot of her la- losses this season have been very, very close. I think she's now 25-7 and seven on hard courts this year. Just keep an eye on Garbine Muguruza, 6-6. Six and six. Over Vekic, you look at the other straight set winners, Azarenka, Rybakina, Kasikina, Collins, and Alexandrova rolling through their first round opponents. It was tricky for Ali, uh, Own Jabour against Chicago finalist, or maybe it was Cleveland finalist, I think Chicago finalist, Alize Cornet, but in the end, 5-5 five and five wins for the always tricky Own Jabour, who... You know, again, she's a top 20 player, maybe even top 15. The variety she plays with, but then, you know, again, the strength of her shot, her explosive first step. She just has weapons others don't. A fun mix, outlier in the mix here in the women's game. But those are how your seeds performed. Again, only Putin save of all the seeds who played today. She was the only one upset. You look at the other straight set wins. Vandrusova, Zidanzik, Mikhail taking care of business. Kutsova. 7-5-6-1 win. She comes back from an early breakdown over young American Ann Lee. That's a disappointing one for Ann Lee, but you look at some of the other youngsters who impressed. Ma- uh, Maria Camilla Osorio-Serrano continuing her breakthrough season. 6-2-6-2 over Jorovich. Kaya Yuvan giving us an ace of the day victory. 1-4 over Watson. And then as mentioned, Layla Fernandez. Just the variety, the craft. She overcomes an early break deficit. 7-6-6-2 over Anaconia, your other results on the day wins from Petkovic, Paulini, Danilovic, and Gramatikapolu. Uh, those were your 32 women's first round matches on the day. You round out the men's side. Pretty straightforward performance uh, for Daniil Medvedev. He was your nightcap. So I suppose the most notable fact is how late he got on the court. But you look for Medvedev in the end. 6-4-6-3-6-1. He takes care of business over Richard Gasquet. And you know, again, the later that match went, the more physical it became, the better he looked. I think he's a great post-midnight player. You know who you don't want? Having practiced every club tennis practice, 10 uh, p.m. to midnight, I would Medvedev out there. When you get into no-miss mode, you know when you're a nightmare to be played against? 11.30. I'm not trying to compare myself to Daniil Medvedev, but I'm just saying I get the framework 
Uh, you would want no. You're like, oh, I'm playing 30 ball rallies. Unless you're really in the mood for that, that is a nightmare to play in. So no surprise. Again, Gasquet, the shot making was on display in the first two sets, but that just wears him down over the course of the match. Impressive wins for Rude Schwartzman, Dimitrov on the day. You look for Casper Rude, three two and two over Sagita. He's a top 10 player, folks, or if not top 10, top 15 for sure. I'd argue top 12 for sure. I do think he might be that 10th guy. Just the consistency with which he plays, that forehand is a weapon, places his serve so well, constructs points so well. Yes, the backhand hangs short. Yes, you can attack the forehand with pace, but, you know, again, those are marginal issues for what is a really rock-solid high-floor game. Dominates Sagita 3-2-2. Schwartzman worked Barankas 5-3-3, just had the whole variety on display. Uh, Rublev. Makes an interesting decision. Was that Ivo Karlovich's last match? We see him come through qualifying, but Rublev today turns really well. 3 6 and 3 to advance to round number two. Karlovich says, It's up to me. Do I want to go play the challengers or, you know, because that's where my ranking is, or am I ready to call it quits? And, you know, he's 40 years old. He can do what he's got to do, but good win for Andre Rublev. Grigor, you know, close second set. I thought Riffis was going to sneak it out, but Grigor plays a good tiebreaker. 6 1, 7 6, 6 3, 4. Him over the NCAA champion. You look for some of the other seeds. Felix Ogier Aliasim. Woo! Down a break. Looked like he was going to go down two sets to one against Evgeny Donskoy, but in the end, 7 6, 3 6, 7 6, 7 6 win. That's one he needed. That's a win, you know, a match we've seen him lose now multiple times at slams, in particular this year. Seppi, first round French Open. Uh, before FAA, he gets the win, much needed. Uh, you, you win ugly early so that you can win pretty later. He advances. Another much-needed win for Christian Green just to prove to himself, hey, I am a top 75, top 64 guy on hard courts. I should be confident when I'm entering these first-round matches. There's a reason there's a 16 next to my name. He just stays solid, knocks off Gombo, 6-3, 6 Bautista Goot, 3-4-0 over Kyrgios disappointing for Nick. He was locked in in sets one and two, but when he go, went down that early break in set three, you just knew it was over. Credit to our Bautista Gut. The first game they played, I think, was five minutes long, and you know Nick had his chances there, but Bautista Gut said, nope, we're making this a track meet, and obviously... You know, that's that's a style of play. Bautista Agut can win. I didn't think he had that gear in him, but that's certainly a notable data point because it's an open section of the draw, and Bautista Agut gets the victory. 3-4-0. and oh. Dan Evans, your other seed with a win on the day. Four-set win for him. And what was a tricky matchup over the lefty, heavy-hitting Diego Montiero? Uh, you look at your other results, straight set wins for Bagnus, Laxanen, and Marcos Giron. Francis Tiafo, tricky win over his close friend Chris Eubanks, but get that gets that win in four. Good wins for fellow next-geners Rusevori and Popperin as well in four sets. Your final two matches going to the deuce in four sets. Alex Mulcan in four sets as well. Those are your day one results. Now, day two, certainly, again, 32 first-round matches for both men and the women in singles. Plenty of options to watch uh, starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. I have my list of the matches I'm going to be watching most closely. One, you know, fact for each side. The one to watch most closely on the men's side, Fritz Diemenauer. And you look for Alex Diemenauer, who has lost four of his five matches dating back uh, to the start of Wimbledon, loses to Korda. 
in four sets, loses to Stevie in three in City Open, loses in one and one in Canada to Basilashvili, gets a three set win over Krajinovich before losing to Gael Monfils second round of Cincinnati. Of course, he tested positive for COVID after Wimbledon, and you know there's no. You can't describe what that impact is going to have for him, how long it's going to take him to get back to top form, but he is 4-0 in his career against Taylor Fritz, and Fritz, obviously, number 42 in the rankings, first time in a while. He hasn't been seeded at a slam. This is a brutal first-round match for him, and, you know, from a matchup perspective, you can understand not only is Demonauer 4-0, he's never lost a set to Fritz, and all of their matchups have either been on hard courts or grass courts. Demauer has the athleticism to track down that first strike and to put enough pace on his passing shot, it will give Fritz problems. Now, of course, from a matchup perspective, Fritz should have the serve, you know, to hold his way into the match, and he should be aggressive enough with his return to give this version of Demon Hour some problems in the Demon Hour return uh, service game. Because again, this hasn't been peak Alex of late at the same time. I mean, this is just an interesting one. I will be shocked if it's anything less than four sets. I do think that's your most interesting men's match of the day. You look elsewhere down the list. It's an interesting day. I think Djokovic-Rune is fascinating, not because Rune can beat Djokovic, but because Rune is 18 years old, former world junior number one, has been a rising star on the Challenger Tour. He can be very, very good. Uh, you look elsewhere, Brooks B. Emer, that's your tennis uh, you know, hipsters go-to. That's a track meet. Hatchinov-Harris. That is modern tennis, 6-6, big serves, big forehands, get ready for some fun. If Gofan's healthy, him versus Mackey's, a lot of shot making on one court. Bublik, Hanifman, just a lot of creativity. I think that's a sneaky fun one on the day. Korda Basilashvili's good, Sak Nishioka, Opelka Kwan. You know, then you get into like the Karatsev Moon, Arberatini, Shardy, Karina Busta, Cressy. The one that sneaks out, Musetti Nava, former junior Australian Open final rematch. Those are your men's matches. Now, on the women's side, the one of the day is certainly Sakari versus Kostyuk, uh, the young 19, 18-year-old, excuse me, Ukrainian, one of the most talented young rising stars in the game. Sakari was one of your, if not, you know, 10, if not five best players through the first, I would say, what's in between a third and a second? Um, you do the math there. Two-sixths. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Two-sixths of the season. If for, no, because that's one-third. Um, first five-twelfths. Of the season, Sakari was one of the best seven or eight players. There it is on tour, but of course, the young hitting, uh, powerful Kostyuk. She just competes so well, so I think that match gets funky. Mukova versus Ribas Tormo, that's a fun one. And the Rescue versus Golubic, that's my Patreon match of the day. So if you want to hear more, please subscribe to our Crack Rackets Patreon. But Golubic, by recent form, by results, she's been better than Andrescu this season. So that's a fun one to watch. The Battle of the Young Claras. Former, I believe, world junior number one, Clara Burel, talented French woman. Uh, former world junior number one, Clara Tossin. Two WTA titles this season. A lot of power tennis on that court. I'm also looking forward to Kudermatova Kirstea. That feels guaranteed. Three sets. Sviantek Loeb, Pliskova McNally. Just overall, really fun day of action. And, of course, we will be back tomorrow recapping all of that action. The later the day of play ends, the less likely it will be that I have a guest on the show. Of course, we'll try to work in our crew, Jamie McDonald, Matt Stokowiak, guests from outside the Cracked Rackets universe, maybe even a Max Rothman appearance over the next two weeks as well. Of course, if you 
would like to hear my picks each and every day, hop on over to the Great Shot Podcast feed, GSP Ace of the Day, released each and every afternoon, of course, to find all of our content. Just tune over to our website, CrackRackets.com, Cracked Interviews Podcast, rocking and rolling as well. So, of course, like, rate, subscribe to review to all of our shows if you need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleeger and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout-out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producers, Fleeger and Westoff, for our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.